Well, good morning. Hope that you're doing well today. Uh, We are on our last Sunday in this sermon series called Life on Mission, Go and Multiply. And uh, we've been here for about, this is the fifth Sunday. And so the first two Sundays, uh, we looked at the topic of evangelism. And then we took a break and looked at Easter Sunday. And then last week, we we introduced the topic of discipleship. And then today, we're going to finish talking about discipleship once again. And uh, last week, if you remember, we talked about discipleship on a macro level. And so we talked about the question, what does it mean to grow as a disciple or follower of Jesus? And what does it mean to grow here at College Park Church, Fisher's Campus? And so we used this graphic, and I moved through each of the, the fourfold uh, point strategy that we have at this church for what it looks like to grow here at College Park uh, Fisher's. And so today, uh, we have the great opportunity to look at what it means to grow as a disciple on a micro level. And so we'll be looking at micro discipleship more in the context of personal relationships, one-on-one or one-on-four. And so uh, before we dive in, let's pray and uh, just dedicate our time to the Lord. God, we thank you for the incredible opportunity it is to gather as your people on Sunday morning to sing your praises and to open up your word. God, we love your word. God, we love how it encourages us, how it convicts us. God, how it conforms us to the image of Jesus. We we thank you that your word connects us to you. And so we pray in these moments, Lord, that your word would do what your word does, that it's alive and active, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we pray that your spirit would produce a sense of freedom in this room, that you'd move in a powerful way. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'm nowhere near where I want to be spiritually. Those were the words uttered by someone that I was counseling a few years ago in response to the question, what is holding you back from engaging in discipleship? Those words, it's really a a confession. I'm nowhere near where I want to be spiritually is a statement that we've all said to ourselves at one time or another. Those those words resonate with all of us. And that statement or that confession expresses the reality of a gap between where we are and where we feel like we should be spiritually. And that gap, so often, is is what keeps many of us from actually engaging in discipleship. That there's a gap between where we are and where we want to be spiritually. Now, how would you answer that question this morning? Of what what is holding you back from engaging in discipleship in your life? My two-year-old daughter, Ellie, absolutely loves books. She is in that Uh, stage of life in which she'll just crawl up into my lap and bring two or three or 30 books and say, Dada, read to me. And uh, and so we'll just sit there and and just read books, you know, for hours. And uh, and there's a book that she she loves right now. It's called um, Cat in the Hat by Dr. Seuss. She's obsessed with this book. And, uh, And as I've read it once or twice and really like 25 times by now, it's really a strange children's book. I mean, there's this cat that comes to this house, and the kids are alone, and, and they're playing, and, and yeah, it's just, it's just a strange children's book. But there's this one page in the book 
that really resonated with me, and, and it really just jumped out to me. I felt like the Spirit was using it to kind of convict me in my life, and it's this picture right here. Now, you see this picture, and the cat in the hat is balancing on one foot on a ball all of these different objects, and he's trying to keep them all in the air. And I was reading this book to my two-year-old daughter, and I just felt the Holy Spirit convict me and say, that this is your life so often. Like, this is, this is what it looks like. And the more and more I was kind of tuning into what the Holy Spirit was speaking to me concerning this page in a children's book, I was like, yeah, that, that's how I feel so often in my life, where I've got so many plates spinning. I've got so many things that, that I'm juggling. And the thought of adding one more thing to my plate feels absolutely overwhelming. So can, can you relate to this picture here? Does this, does this resonate with you today? Does this describe how you might live your life today where you've got so many responsibilities as an employee, as a parent, as a spouse, as a roommate? You've got so many things going on in your schedule, and the thought of adding one more thing, like discipleship, is absolutely overwhelming. But what if, what if I told you this morning that discipleship isn't about adding one more thing to your schedule? What if discipleship wasn't about adding another appointment to your calendar or, or trying to start a new relationship? What if I told you that discipleship was about being more intentional with the existing relationships in your path of life? That what if discipleship was more about shifting your mindsets? Not adding something else to your plate, but just shifting your mentality, looking at the people that God has placed on your path of life and just being a little bit more intentional. And what if I told you that discipleship is not just reserved for the Christians who have it all together, but what if discipleship is for all followers of Jesus, even the followers of Jesus who have, who have holes or gaps in their lives spiritually? And that's exactly what I want us to see this morning in Matthew 28. I want us to see not only how to make disciples and, and what discipleship is all about, but I want us to see that, that this command that Jesus gives is for every follower of Jesus, even for those of us who feel inadequate to participate in discipleship. And so this morning... Uh, we're going to move through uh, this outline fairly uh, quickly today. We're going to look at five different points of discipleship. We're going to look at the why of discipleship. We're going to look at the who of discipleship. We'll look at the what of discipleship, the how, and the where. Okay, so the why, the who, the what, the how, and the where. So let's look at the why. So why discipleship? Why discipleship here at College Park Fishers? Why is discipleship so important? There's a question that I get asked often here as I've been here for uh, almost a year and a half, and it's this question. Chris, what's the vision for College Park Fishers? What do you see 5, 10, 15 years down the road? Where, where do you feel like the Lord is leading us? And I love that question. I, I think about that question a lot. So I spend a lot of time and, and energy you know, thinking about where the Lord might take us 10 years from now. And on one hand, when I think about that question, my, my heart is just filled with excitement. I get really excited thinking about what the Lord could do in and through this church, you know, 10 years from now. 
But on the other hand, my, my heart gets filled with great pause when I think about that question. If we fast forward to 10, 15 years from now, and, and let's say that College Park Fishers is, is a healthy, thriving church, and 10 years, 15 years from now, let's say someone new into the area comes to our church, and they ask you, why is College Park Fishers so healthy? Well, why is this church thriving? How would you answer that question? What would you point to as evidence that our church is healthy and thriving? See, here, can I just share with you what, what fills my heart with, with a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of pause, that it, it's the thought of 10 years from now and 15 years from now. If, if the Lord blesses us, and we've got hundreds, maybe even thousands of people attending our church, and, and 10 years from now, you know, we've got a building that we can call our own, it's, it's our home, that we've got, you know, 25 different programs and ministries that we're giving over a million dollars to the Christmas offering and our global missions, and yet we've missed discipleship. That we've missed what it means to make disciples. That, that we have the wrong targets. That, that's what gives me anxiety. When I, when I think about us 10 years from now, I, I don't want us to have the wrong scorecard of what it means to be a healthy church. See, what gives me great pause. It's not figuring out a building. It's not how many people the Lord will direct our way. What gives me pause thinking about 10 years from now is, are we making disciples? Are we falling more in love with Jesus and helping other people do the same? Are we helping other people ignite a passion to follow Jesus? Are we going deep and not just wide? That's why we've been using this metaphor, this airplane metaphor of our church, that if our church is an airplane, we've got one wing is evangelism and the other wing is discipleship. And hopefully you've seen throughout this sermon series that they're really connected. It's not one or the other, but because the engine of the church is the gospel and the gospel is big enough to both call us into evangelism and make disciples. And it's a helpful metaphor because it, it keeps us from becoming inwardly obsessed only thinking about us and our programs and our ministries, and it helps us to think outside of ourselves, even outside of the walls of our church. But here's the why. So you're thinking, okay, why discipleship at College Park Fishers? Here's the why. God's plan A for displaying the beauty of his name is through the church making disciples. That's God's number one option to spreading his fame, to spreading the beauty and the glory of his name in the gospel is through you making disciples. That's God's plan A, like you reaching your neighbors. You're thinking, okay, how, how are my coworkers going to hear about Jesus? How are my neighbors going to get saved? How, how are people in my family? It's, it's you, that you are God's plan A for displaying the glory of of his name. And, and maybe you're thinking to yourself, no, 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 not me. There's no way that the Great Commission is about me. There, there's no way that I can do that. I, I've got so many weaknesses. I've got, I've got so many fears. I've, I've got so much sin in my life. Chris, I feel so inadequate to engaging discipleship. Surely this isn't about me. Surely the Great Commission is about the super Christians, the professional Christians. This, this isn't about me. And while that might be true, that you might feel inadequate, 
that you might feel like you've got failure in your life and, and sin in your life. That might be true. But before you close the door of participating in discipleship, of closing the door to the Great Commission, let's, let's first look at the who of discipleship in this passage. Let's look at the who. Verses 16 and 17 says this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now as we look at the who of discipleship, I, I want us just to see a couple of observations from these two verses. First, notice that Matthew, the author, says the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Not the 12, but the 11. Now, this is the first time that Matthew uses this 11-type language, and it's really meant to cause us to just stop and pause and think about what, what happened to the 12. What, what really happened to Judas as he betrayed Jesus and he fell away? And I think part of the, the purpose of Matthew using this language is it's supposed to make us just to stop and pause and think about the reality that Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, was with Jesus for three years, saw Jesus do all of his miracles, heard all of the teachings of Jesus, and yet he fell away. And I think it's, it's used for us just to stop and think about the reality of how easy it is for us to be around Jesus and yet not in Jesus. For us to have all of the information about Jesus, all of the facts, all of the knowledge about Jesus, and yet not trust and submit and follow after Jesus. And so as we, as we think about the who here, we need to almost pause and evaluate, are we really following after Jesus? Is he what we're after in this life? Not only that, but the second observation I want to make is it relates to the fact that when these 11, when they saw Jesus, look at what they did. They worshiped him. That they saw Jesus, they saw the glorified, beautiful Jesus, and it led to them worshiping Jesus. That this is the normal response to followers of Jesus, that when you see him, when you hear about him, it causes you to worship him. And this aspect of the Great Commission is, in my opinion, oftentimes overlooked. That the assumption that those who are making disciples are, are just automatically enthralled and in love with Jesus, that's a very dangerous assumption. That as we go and make disciples, as we kind of press this into the DNA of our church, are you in love with Jesus this morning? Are you really enthralled with the person and the work of Jesus Christ this morning? That what, what does it do to your heart when you hear the name of Jesus? Do you have this, this personal and this, this private time of, of worshiping Jesus consistently and regularly in your life? Are you in love with Jesus today? Because the normal response of followers of Jesus, when they see Jesus, when they hear Jesus, they worship him. We want this to be oozing out of us as we make disciples. We want the very reality of you being obsessed with Jesus to just come out of you as you make disciples. Because the reality is you cannot give to others what you currently do not possess. Thirdly, 
Look at how else these individuals are described. It says, when they saw Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Some doubted. I can't tell you how encouraging it is for me to read that. Even when I was studying it this week, that, that some doubted here. This is the last speech he gives to his followers here. This is maybe one of the most significant commands that Jesus gives, and yet says that this group of people, that some of them doubted, that this group of individuals, were, they, they were marked by failure, that Peter just got done denying Jesus, that some doubted, and yet Jesus gives them this great commission, this command to go and make disciples and change the world. And it's described here as being filled with doubt. Like, I don't know what you're wrestling with today. I don't know what, what you're going through as it relates to the call to make disciples. If you're feeling a sense of inadequacy, if you're feeling a sense of fear when you think about going and make disciples. I don't know if you're wrestling through doubts during the season of your life, if you're going through just a, a struggle with sin, and you're thinking to yourself, there's no way I can engage in this mission of making disciples. I'm not good enough. Look at the people that Jesus gave the Great Commission to first. He gave it to a group of individuals who were struggling and who were wrestling with doubts. That this group of individuals we're marked with this sense of, of where do we go from here? And this passage, what it does for us is, is it just confronts the notion of feeling a sense of inadequacy means that you can just sit on the sidelines of discipleship. I think Jesus is, is giving this, this command to these 11 who were filled with doubt to show us that Jesus can use anybody, any follower of Jesus, to go and make disciples. And so when you think about the who, when you think about who should be making disciples, it's all followers of Jesus. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, we are all called to make disciples. So not only that, not only do we see the why and the who here, but we see the what, the what of discipleship. Look with me at verses 18 through 20. It says this, that Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, as we look at the what of discipleship, so what does this look like? How do we define discipleship? We need to remember that Jesus is giving his disciples his last instruction before he ascends to heaven. And the central and really only command in this passage is to make disciples. That Jesus says, go, make disciples, and as you're making disciples, baptize and teach. And then I'll, I'll be with you to the end of the age. So let's first look at baptism. Baptism is a sacred act where you are publicly identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's this dynamic symbol of publicly declaring to the church that you belong to God's family because of Jesus being your Savior. It powerfully communicates your commitment to Jesus. But have you ever read this passage and thought, what does baptism have to do with discipleship? 
And so in thinking about that, that there's this evangelistic element to our discipleship. That if you're trying to make a disciple with someone and, and you uncover the reality that that person isn't even a Christian yet, then job number one is to introduce them to Jesus. Job number one is to share the gospel, to lead them to, to faith in Christ. And once they do, then you baptize them. And so there's this evangelistic target that as we make disciples, this isn't just for believers that as we go out into the community and we think about sharing the gospel with people and, and making disciples, that some people need to be saved first and then baptized. And we also need to remember that Jesus is giving this to the 11 disciples who are go then going to go out and share the good news of Jesus Christ, which will then lead them to baptizing other people. So we need to remember that there was no such thing as an unbaptized Christian in the New Testament that all followers of Jesus should be baptized. It's a command from Jesus. And so even just kind of a, a side tangent here, if you're here today and you're a Christian and you haven't been baptized, that maybe a direct application for you this morning is to take that step and publicly declare your faith to the body of Christ through baptism. And in fact, our next baptism service will be May 22nd here in this room, and we would love to talk with you about that. So not only is baptism part of discipleship here, but Jesus also tells them to teach others to observe everything that I've commanded you. But notice that learning is not the goal here. Transformation is the goal. That Jesus wants us to teach others in such a way that his commands can be observed and lived out. That discipleship isn't about an information dump but it's about transformation and application. That as we're teaching people what it means to follow Jesus, we want them to observe that in our own lives. And so Jesus says, teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And so that's what Jesus says here. It's really, really important. And yet, as, as we're thinking about what is discipleship, I think it's really important to contextualize discipleship. In other words, what does it mean here in this context to make disciples? So let me just give us a, a definition of, of discipleship here. And so before we do, I, I was thinking about discipleship, and I was trying to just define what this looks like. And, and it took me back to my experience in my room growing up. I had this dresser. And this dresser in my room, just like any dresser, had all these different kinds of drawers in it. And for me, this dresser, each, each drawer had a specific item of clothing that was reserved for that drawer. And so for me, I had, you know, this drawer where my socks went. I had a drawer where my t-shirts went. I had a drawer where my shorts went. But then the bottom drawer became known as the junk drawer, okay? And we, we all have these, okay? So I'm not the only one. But this junk drawer for me just became the, the drawer where I would place just extra change, you know, my collectible basketball cards, my, my deodorant, just anything and everything went into the junk drawer. And the good thing about a junk drawer is that you can put pretty much anything in there, right? But the bad news about a junk drawer is that it becomes unorganized. It's not really well-defined. And as I was thinking about discipleship and, and what it means to define discipleship, I wonder if discipleship in Christianity has almost become this junk drawer term. 
where we kind of put anything and everything into discipleship to the point where we've lost its meaning, where we can almost no longer define what discipleship is because we say, oh yeah, discipleship is counseling, and discipleship is evangelism, and discipleship is small groups, and we just add all of these things into discipleship to the point where we're like, okay, what is discipleship anymore? That if discipleship is everything, then discipleship is nothing. And so let me just give us a, just a, a basic definition moving forward of what discipleship means. And Dustin Crow has really helped me with this, um, with this definition here, who is the director of discipleship. So here it is. Discipleship is modeling and multiplying maturity in Christ through intentional relationships. It is discipleship is modeling and multiplying maturity in Christ through intentional relationships. That in other words, that you are intentionally and consistently helping someone else follow Jesus to the point where that person is then helping other people follow Jesus, that there's this multiplication aspect to discipleship. And so let me just spend a couple moments breaking this definition down into four aspects. First, let's look at maturity in Christ. What do I mean by maturity in Christ? Well, this means that there is a goal that you're aiming for as we engage in discipleship. That as you talk and as you interact, discipleship is not only about talking about the cults sipping coffee. That might be an aspect to it, but the goal of discipleship is to look more and more like Jesus. This is exactly what we talked about last week, that being rooted and being grounded in Jesus, established in your faith, that we want people to grow and look more and more like Jesus, to mature and to bear more and more fruit to where you notice, wow, I actually want to read the Bible, where you start noticing, wow, I actually want to pray, where you start noticing, I, I don't talk to my spouse in a negative way as much. So we start noticing that I don't look at, at bad things on the computer anymore, that there's noticeable change and growth as you look more and more like Jesus Christ, that that's kind of the aim of discipleship. It's maturity in Jesus. But not only that, but notice it's also modeling that maturity in Christ. That modeling means you're not just instructing the person on how to live and grow, but you're modeling it yourself. There's this aspect of imitation that should be emphasized in our discipleship. Jesus even demonstrated this reality as he discipled other disciples, that he wanted them to look like Jesus. And hopefully our discipleship is to the point where we can claim, as Paul did, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And we sometimes want to define discipleship as only teaching, it comes to the point where, hey, let me disciple you, and, and what we mean by that is let me teach you everything that I know and what I have experienced. And so it almost becomes this, this information dump where we just tell them everything that I've learned. And yet modeling means that there's this relationship that you're building and you continue to build where there's access and availability to your life. That person watches how you live, watches how you apply the gospel to all kinds of aspects in your life. That it's not just about information, but it's information, observation, and imitation in the context of relationship. So we're modeling it as well. A third aspect 
that I want to point out is multiplying. And Kevin, you did a great job talking about this today and living it out. But what we mean by multiplying is not only do we model maturity in Christ, but we want to, mul- we want to multiply that. And so we don't want to only multiply it in the person or group of people that we're meeting with, but we want them to go and multiply it in other people. And so as you're discipling people, the aim is, is not to meet for 12 or 20 years and, and have that not go anywhere. But as you meet and as you disciple, there should be this aim of, hey, hey who could you go and disciple? Who could you go and, and invest into spiritually that someone might be in your sphere of influence? And so we want a multiplication aspect to our discipleship. And then the fourth aspect I want to unpack for us is intentional relationships. That this is really the best vehicle for discipleship it's in the context of relationships. And as I talk and as I interact with many of you, this seems to be the biggest barrier to actually engaging in discipleship. It's, it's the question of, who do I disciple? That I'm not really sure who I should be discipling. And so as you think about who you should be discipling, I, I want you to think about who is already in your sphere of influence, Who is already in your path of life that you have an existing relationship with already? That if you were just faithfully discipling those people and going deep and not just wide, that you would be able to identify who it is that you should be discipling. That discipleship isn't about adding something else on, although it could be, but for the majority of us in the room, it's really about looking at who do I have an existing relationship already and who do I need to be more intentional with about going deeper with. And so for some of us, we just need to look around at the people in our family, the people in our small groups, the people that we serve with, the people that we work with or in our neighborhoods or the people that we're friends with that are in our sphere of influence and be more intentional going deeper in those relationships. And that might be true for some of us in here, but then others of us, you look around at your sphere of influence and there's really nobody, and that could be the case. And so there's an element of formal discipleship and informal discipleship. So let me, let me unpack what I mean by that. Many of you know that I played basketball in college, and, uh, and I played basketball for about 15 years of my life. Had a great experience with basketball, but it really, for me, it all started when I was a small boy, and my dad was the basketball coach, and I had the opportunity to be the water boy of the team. And so I was the water boy, and there were these two seniors, Brian Weekly and Jason Vestia, who are much, much older than me. And they heard that I had an interest in basketball. And so they pulled me aside and they said, Chris, this summer, every Thursday, we're going to come and we're going to pick you up and we're just going to go and work you out. We're going to teach you what it means to be a basketball player. So every Thursday, 7 o'clock, they came that summer, picked me up, and formally discipled me in the arena of basketball. And so they'd take me, they'd work me out, they would teach me what it means, and then they'd come and they'd drop me off. And as I grew, I started to develop my own passion for being developed as a basketball player. But my dad was a very instrumental figure as I grew into a basketball player. Now, my dad had a much different approach. It wasn't formal. It was informal. 
It was much more organic. That my dad didn't say, hey, Tuesday mornings at 7, we're going to go and we're going to shoot some hoops and talk about basketball. But with my dad, the way that he discipled me in the arena of basketball was we'd be sitting at dinner and, and we'd start talking about basketball. Or we'd be grabbing ice cream or he'd be driving me to school and, and basketball would just come up in our conversations. It was much more informal. And so as you think about discipleship and thinking about who do I need to be intentional with, for some of us in the room, the formal discipleship really resonates that maybe you do need to have something a little bit more structured where, hey, Tuesday morning at Panera, we're going to meet and we're going to talk about, about what it means to grow uh, in Christ. But then maybe others of us resonate with more of an informal manner in discipleship, that as you're driving your kids to school, you just turn to them and say, hey, how's your relationship with Jesus going? Or as you get home from work and you eat dinner as a family, you're, you're bringing up spiritual things. Or as you're interacting with your roommate and you're just hanging out together, and you start talking about what it means to grow as a follower of Jesus. And so I think these categories of formal and informal are really helpful as long as you're being intentional, making, multiplying, and maturing what it means to follow Jesus in other people. And so again, you might be here this morning thinking to yourself, can I really do that? Can I really take that step and, and make a disciple? Can, can I really engage in, in someone else's spiritual growth? Well, I hope that you see in this passage that you not only can, but you have the power of Christ and the presence of Christ in your life. That I love what Jesus does here in this passage. And if you notice this here, Jesus talks about how he has all authority, that all power, all dominion has been given to him. He says that on the front end of this conversation, and yet on the back end, at the very bottom, he says, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. And it's really, it's really good to think about that Jesus understands who he's talking to. He's talking to a group of disciples that were wrestling with doubt, and he's about to give them one of the most important commands to go and make disciples, and he tells them, I have all the power that you need to make disciples, and I not only have all the power, but I will be with you always. So I will give you power, and I will give you my presence to be able to live this out, this extremely important command, wherever you are in your spiritual journey. So we go and we make disciples. So that's the what of discipleship. So not only have we seen the why, the who, and the what, but let's look at the how of discipleship, the how. As I was thinking through um, just how to explain what it means to, to make disciples, I, I recalled a, a powerful sermon that I heard by Francis Chan years ago. He was talking about discipleship, and he used this this illustration of Simon Says. And he said, you know, we, we understand the rules of Simon Says, where Simon Says, touch your head, so we touch our head. If Simon Says, rub your belly, we, we rub our belly. But then he says, as it relates to what God says, we kind of change the rules. That when God says, make disciples, we say, okay, I'll go and memorize that. And, and then he unpacks it further. And he says, you know, when I tell my daughter to go and clean your room, my daughter doesn't come back and say, you know, Dad, I thought about what you said, and I just want to repeat it to you. 
You said, go and clean my room. Now, now Dad, I, I love that command. That, that really resonated with me. But I'm not going to go clean my room. In fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to understand what it means in the Greek. <laughs> and I remember that sermon. I remember sitting there thinking to myself, man, that's me. Man, that, that is me. I, I memorized the command. I know it in the Greek. I know what it means to, to make disciples, but, but am I actually doing it? And so for me, for so often, the gap in my relationship with God as it relates to discipleship was I wasn't quite sure how to make disciples. And I think for many of us that the gap in our lives is we're not really sure how to make disciples, that we understand what the command is, what it's saying, but what does it actually look like in our lives? And so what I want to do for this section is just talk about the four wins of a discipler, okay? Four wins, W-I-N-S, of when you get involved in someone else's life spiritually, after you've identified who to disciple, what do you do? What do you talk about? What, what does that relationship actually look like here? Okay, so we've got four of them, and I'll move through them. Here's number one. Number one is be prepared. Be prepared. By being prepared, what I mean by this is you need to know what you're going to be talking about with this person, that you need to have tools and, and resources ready to, to be used and ready to be handed out. And just for you to know, we have a list of resources available for you on our website. Uh, it's under the library tab on our website. It's just this main, this main tab there. We've just got this long list of resources for you to be able to utilize as you're thinking through, what do I talk about? What, what does this look like? What do I say? Where do I go? What book to study? We even have worksheets on that resource tab helping you identify what it means to even study Scripture. I just commend that to you. But you need to be prepared of what do I talk about? What do I address? And not only with content, but you need to be prepared in your own life spiritually. That being prepared means that you're walking with Jesus that you're growing in your relationship with him because, again, you cannot give to others what you currently do not possess. So number one, be prepared. Number two here is assess their spiritual condition. Assess their spiritual condition. So not only be prepared, but you need to know where this person is spiritually. You need to be able to identify what their strengths are and what their weaknesses are. You need to be able to know what their testimony is, how they came to faith in Christ, what their theology looks like, what, it, what, what they think about God, if, if they have any holes in their theology that you need to address. You also need to be able to affirm where you see God working in their life to be able to encourage them and identify where they are spiritually. So be able to assess their spiritual condition. The third win the third one is help them grow in maturity in Christ. Help them grow. And so growing in maturity in Christ can look differently for the person that you're discipling, but you should really have these three elements as you think about what it means to help someone grow in Christ. That you need to have time in prayer, you need to have time in the Word, and you need to have time of application or accountability. And so during your time, as you're thinking about how to grow somebody in Christ, you need to teach them how to pray. 
teach them how to read Scripture, teach them how to apply Scripture to their life, and, and keep them accountable. A great question that I love to ask people as I'm discipling people is, how does the gospel apply to this area of your life? How does the gospel apply to your parenting, to, to, to you as a spouse, or to your war with sin, or, or to you as, as you evangelize with other people? So you need to be able to help them grow in Christ. And then number four, the fourth win, is to think in terms of multiplication. So think in terms of multiplication. In other words, as you meet and as you invest in that person or small group of people, you need to be asking the question, hey, are you going to take this and invest in someone else? Are, are you going to multiply this in other people? Who, who could it be in your life that you could start making disciples? And so making sure that there's a multiplication aspect to your discipleship. And for more information on how to make disciples, you should have received a card in your bulletin that uh, will lead you to a disciple maker's guide. And so it will walk you through how to find that on our website. Again, I just commend that resource to you as you're thinking about what does this look like in my context and in my relationship with this person. So that's the how. Lastly here, the where. The where. So we've talked about the why. We've talked about the who, the what, the how. And now the where. So here at College Park Fishers, what do we want to focus on as it relates to discipleship? Well, intentionally or unintentionally, everybody has a center in their discipleship. Everybody has a focus as they start thinking about discipleship. That for some, unfortunately, the center becomes rules or a curriculum. And what happens when that's at the center of your discipleship is it becomes very rigid and it becomes very cold. And so for us at College Park Fishers, what, what I would want our center to be as it relates to discipleship is Jesus. That I want the center of our discipleship, the focus, to be Jesus Christ. That I want for us, as we think about what it means to help other people mature in Christ, I want Jesus to be what we talk about. I want Jesus to be what we pray about, Jesus to be what we're constantly coming back to. That if you're talking about parenting, if you're talking about uh, you know, how to treat your spouse or how to share the gospel with people or how to fight off sin, make sure that it's always coming back to Jesus. And the reason for this is because we want Jesus to, to be the center of our conversations, that we want it to be normal for us to talk about Jesus just in everyday conversation that we don't just only want to talk about Jesus on Sundays at church, but all throughout the week as you're engaging with other people, as you're talking about just life, that Jesus just flows out of your language and, and into your conversations because you're centered on Jesus, that you're actually enthralled with him. And the hope and, and the goal of, of what we're trying to do here at College Park Fishers is we're trying to create a culture of discipleship, a culture where it's so normal for us to make disciples. It's so normal for us to invest in each other spiritually that if you're a follower of Jesus and you're not making disciples, we almost want to make it feel weird that you're not. We almost want to make it feel slightly uncomfortable that you're not engaging in making disciples because this is a, a culture piece of College Park Fishers. This is our normal behavior as a church that each one of us are investing in other people as it relates to making disciples. 
that we want that to define us and describe us, and most importantly, that that's our scorecard for what it means to be a healthy church. We want to make disciples. And so discipleship is, no doubt, a daunting task, that this is extremely messy. It's, it's inefficient. It's, it's a hard thing to do. And yet Jesus, again, Jesus promises his power and his presence in your life that you're not doing this alone. This isn't Jesus giving a command, ascending up to heaven and saying, okay, go figure it out on your own. But no, we have the power of the Holy Spirit within us. We have his presence and we have the body of Christ where we're participating in this mission together. So as you think about how to respond and, and just how to apply this message to your life, how would you finish this sentence here? That I would engage in discipleship if. How would you finish that sentence? I would engage in discipleship if. And whatever you fill in the blank there, I, I just encourage you that for your application today, the way I want you to respond is just to not only identify what that issue is, but to take that before the Lord and, and maybe in your small group, other believers around you, and, and figure out how you can move past that barrier in your life so that you can actually engage in discipleship. So I would engage in discipleship if, just fill in that blank and start to attack that issue in your life. And maybe there's other, others of us today, and, and you're sitting here and you are just ready to go. Like you're, you're saying, okay, I understand the command. I understand what this looks like. I've got a really cute uh, definition by Dustin Crow, and I'm just ready to, to start applying this to my life. Then, then I would encourage you to do three things. Pray, look, and invite. So number one, pray. Pray, ask the Lord just to fill you with an awareness of, of who it is that God would, would lay on your heart to go and initiate a conversation with and start up a discipling relationship. So number one, pray. And number two, look. Like look around at your sphere of influence. Look around at perhaps you have an existing relationship already that you can just be a little bit more intentional with where you can then invite them. Number three, invite and go up to them and say, hey, do you want to grab coffee this Tuesday and just spend time in the Word? And you can almost approach it in this way of, I need that for my own life. Like, I need time in the Word. Can you just come and join me and we can talk about Jesus and, and what it means to grow? And so pray, look, and invite. And then maybe there's others of us today who you're sitting there thinking, man, I, I want to do that. And I I feel like I should. It's a command, and yet you're just wrestling with this sense of inadequacy today. You're just wrestling with this, almost this discouragement of, of where you are currently, that, that there is a gap, and perhaps for you, that there was a, a time in the past where you had this season of growth, and, and in your relationship with the Lord, there was, just, there, there was this fire in your spirit and yet today, there's not as much growth, and, and perhaps you're just wrestling with, with discouragement today. And I just want to encourage you today to, to just look at the disciples here once again, that I wonder what the disciples were thinking, that, that here they are. They spent three years with Jesus Christ. They saw all the miracles. They heard all of the teachings. And, and now they're, 
They're about ready to see this Jesus ascend up to heaven and leave them. I wonder what they were thinking. I wonder if they felt that type of discouragement, that perhaps in their life, that that their highlight or their their on fire for God season was watching Jesus feed the 5,000 or or watching Jesus walk on water. And now they're in a season of, man, I want to get back to that season of life. I want to get back to where I was really close with the Lord. And maybe you can resonate with that today. Maybe you're thinking, man, I want to get back to the college days or whatever season of life that was for you. I just want to encourage you very, very pastorally that 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 was true what God did in that season of life. And praise God for that growth. But look up. Look up at what God has for you today. Not back to what he did, but what he's going to do in your life to look at the opportunities that are all around you. And could it be that God is just waiting for you to be faithful with what he has for you in this life, in this season of life today? There's a promise here that as you engage in discipleship, you're going to experience the power and the presence of Christ as you step out in faith. So let's pray together. God, we thank you for you being a God who not only saves us, but sends us with a mission. God, we give you praise that that this command, even though it is daunting, God, that you do not leave us to ourselves all alone. So we thank you that you are with us, that you are near us, that you are committed to this great commission more than we are. And so, Lord, I pray that as we think about how to apply this, and even though there's a lot of information, God, we just pray that you would give us clarity that you would put a person, just one individual, on our hearts this morning that we can pursue and invest into spiritually. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.